Welcome back to the Anxious Millennial Podcast. I'm your one and only host, Alexandra. So in today's episode, we go pretty deep, which is why I'm so proud to introduce my guest on the Anxious Millennial Podcast, Patrona Joseph, blogger, author, PR girl, jet setter, and recently actually second time published author, stigmatized breaking the silence and demystifying mental illness is her latest book so what a thrill to have patrona on she and i've been trying to connect for so long but it's finally happened so happy to have you on the show patrona welcome to the anxious millennial yes thank you so much for having me (laughs) it's such a joy for me mainly because i think from our first conversation probably a year ago at this point patrona and i connected again over mental health And I was taken aback by how vulnerable and raw you were with me and how open you were. And I think that's just showcased through your work and through the writing journey. But before we get into all that, Mm -hmm. I'm going to start off first, which is a classic here at The Anxious Millennial. We all need to know, Patrona, what is your word for 2021 and why? Maybe compassion. I would definitely say compassion. Love that word. (laughs) What can you tell me about compassion, Patrona? Well, coming out of the pandemic, I think that we all had to learn a different level of compassion towards ourselves and towards the people around us. So for me, it was definitely um, not just calling or not just saying, yes, I'm here for you. It was really putting action behind those words. Yes, putting action behind the words and a simple check-in for those of us who we're probably feeling really disconnected and lonely during the pandemic. Sometimes was mm-hmm. all it took just to lift your spirits, lift your day. But Patrona, this is so interesting because I also spoke to so many people that their energies were so low that they were you know, busy trying to take care of themselves, their mental health, their families, their well-being, that they didn't have the energy to allocate to check in on other people. And I'm curious what your thought is on that. Mm, that's quite interesting. Um, I, so there's two views about it. I think, I think that there were people who, uh, were a little bit overloaded with the processes. So for example, if you were in the pandemic and you had to go to work and you had to figure out, you know, how you're going to do your groceries with these lineups, you know, it was just a different kind of world. Um, and like, you know, in terms of energy, the energy that people were giving to other people, they prefer maybe to keep that energy for themselves just to be able to cope to get through it. And then there were people who were seeking to help others. So, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. in terms of compassion, there are people who are seeking out, hey, uh, can I help you? Hey, do you have food? Mm -hmm. So definitely two ways to go about it, I definitely think. Oh, 100% that resonates. And what you're saying is that the magic lies or lied in community as it always does. But the irony is that communities felt disconnected because we were presented with such an odd situation to have to stay connected from afar. But we were just talking about this offline, how being connected in person has such a different amount of energy than via a screen or even on a phone or on FaceTime. And although the system is not perfect, you know, we try as best as we could to stay connected, right? But switching gears a little bit. So 
I'm so intrigued because I love speaking to authors. Published authors fascinate me and the process fascinates me. Can you tell me what even sparked the, the writing of your book? What sparked the journey? So my first book, I remember I was working in the car business and I sat at my table. I think this was maybe 14 years ago. And I literally just started writing and I had the vision of writing a book. Um, and then I think it was maybe five or six years after that, I actually wrote a book and the book, it wasn't, I just wanted to write, you know, I had something to say, <laughs> I put it together, and then, but then um, rereading it, I realized it wasn't a great book and it just didn't resonate with me. I was speaking to the marketing aspect of um, blogging and influence marketing and how to market yourself. And then there's a little part in that book where I spoke about depression and anxiety and antidepressants. And I realized that's the part that a lot of people resonated to. Wow. So I'd have these reading sessions at my home. Instead of doing like um, an outside or you know a, a book signing somewhere, I literally would invite strangers to my house to read my book with me <laughs> in small circles. Mm -hmm. And um, at one round table, we had people share. So like when I hit that part about depression and anxiety, people started sharing their experiences. And I was like, are you kidding me? Really? And we had one lady, she says to me, she says, Petrona, I wrote a suicide letter just yesterday. And that's where I stopped. And I was like, whoa, whoa, I changed my world. Then I said, you know what? I'm going to write a book about that. And I think that's how God or the universe or, you know, whatever deity or entity you believe in. I think that's how we're guided because it took how many years for me to actually write a book and then to be on the right path to my purpose and my mission to speak about what I go through because there are people like me who suffer in silence. There are people like yourself, Alex, who suffer in silence. And people just needed to know it's okay for us to talk about this. That vulnerability and the willingness to lean into that is, is where your magic lies, Petrona, because it takes, I mean, we've heard Brene Brown speak to this almost ad nauseum that vulnerability is the highest amount of strength and courage. Um, but that moment that you just described where someone opened up about the fact that she had written a suicide letter is those pivotal moments, as you said so beautifully, is when the universe provides you with the vehicle you need to move forward. That that just landed with me and like I got goosebumps throughout, throughout. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing that. What is it about mental health do you think has people feeling that it's so stigmatized? What is it about mental health that is repressive and just we're so keen on talking about ways that people are, suffer physically? What is it about the brain that we are so reluctant to go there? Mm -hmm. I think it's from the society's perspective or our first image of what mental illness looks like. We're conditioned to think that mental illness looks like someone in a straitjacket, in an institution, uh, 
yelling and screaming cannot work and needs to be heavily sedated. That's the imagery. But the reality is, is that there are people that are walking around perfectly normal, you know, smiling, dancing, that harbor a mental illness, be it anxiety, bipolarity, you know. And once you you tell someone, hey, I think I'm depressed, their first thought is, well, are you really depressed? You know, well, why don't you, you know, go to the gym and work out and, you know, take a walk, you know. So there's different levels of uh, mental illness that we need to really start addressing more in society. And it is perceived as a flaw. And people don't want to be flawed. You know what I mean? Like we, we strive, we're society, we strive for protect for perfection. You know, we get Botox, we go to the gym, uh, you know, everybody wants to be dressed in the best clothing, the best cars, and the slight, you know, the the slight crack in the system is perceived as well, you're not good enough, you know? And I think that's really why there's a stigma. Wow, yes. So true. The image we're all dying to portray and social media is such a perfect example of that we only post the good parts or the the positive things and however i'm slowly starting to see social media turn a corner where people are posting the struggles people are posting the dark days the moments that they need support and that's where i i mean i'd love to take a deeper dive on your book can you give us sort of a high level synopsis of of your book mm-hmm. Well, my book takes you through a little bit, a little bit about everything until my my recent situation where I'm not on medication for the last year, and um, particularly it's the unfolding of the events that were happening in my life, uh, paralleled to my discovery that oh, I have a mental illness, right? Um, it so, so it goes through my childhood because. We forget that childhood neglect, childhood trauma, you know, the loss of a mother, the, you know, and, and the living in different cities and, and, and some, you know, there's abuse, unfortunately, and the abuse doesn't have to always be um, sexual of nature. The abuse could be ridiculed, bullied, um, you know, being beaten. And to some levels, I had experienced all of those things. So I forgot that I had experienced those things. And one day it just caught up to me. <laughs> and so it's the trauma. It was dormant trauma that just, uh, it started revealing itself in different ways. So I talk about in the book where I was always the life of the party. If you knew me, I always wanted to party. <laughs> Um, back in those days, it was Buena Note Globe, and oh, I don't yeah. know. You're familiar? Okay, I good. Was, I was right there with you. You didn't know, <laughs> but I was in line right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I used to live right around the corner. I lived literally walking distance from those places. Okay, and um, so. When my friends were like at the supper clubs, you know, the first thing they were going to do is, what's Petrona doing? And I'd get these calls. And then I remember one particular time, my friend, she's like, Petrona, you know, my dad gave me like a thousand dollars, you know, to blow tonight. Let's go. Let's go. And I'm in my bed and for nothing, I could leave the house. And I was just in, in my bed in the dark. My phone was blowing up. And I'm like, even just to leave the house, 
I, I couldn't even fathom it. All I wanted to do is just to disappear into another world. Like I, I just wanted to leave the earth. And that's when I realized, okay, I had a problem. Now, re- realizing that you have a problem, you know, being a black woman in society, I thought that my role was to be a strong, independent black woman. And I'm going to take myself out of this. So um, I went to the gym all the time. Um, you know, I, I, I was doing all these uh, soulful rituals, trying to get myself out of the funk that I thought was temporary. But then um, it ended up many years later with me being on the Champlain Bridge and having the worst panic attack of my life and having to go to the hospital right away. And um, and I also talk in, about in the book where, you know, from the moment I realized that I had a mental illness, there were two paths that I took that prevented me from getting help. The number one path was thinking that um, the occult, so maybe going to see a spiritual voodoo doctor, witch doctor, because you think it's spiritual. Yes, on some levels it's spiritual, but then um, that just took me into another level of becoming a little bit more um, I don't want to use the word crazy, but it it just sort of it affected me mentally to where I was paranoid, um, you know, because they were telling me, OK, your depression is a spirit <laughs> that was sent to you by some. So it, it got really crazy. And then I went to the church and then the church was telling me you have to pray. So I became a praying fanatic for years. Just to leave the house, I had to pray an hour and a half. God, please protect me. God, please help me. And um, and then the church told me that when I was driving over bridges, the reason why I was having anxiety attacks or full-blown panic attacks on the, high, on the bridges was because it was a demonic attack. So at, at one point, yeah, and I went through this for more than eight years and without getting help, the help that I needed. So when I had that huge panic attack and I had to end up in the hospital and I started taking the medication, I remember the first time I took medication, I felt like the worst failure ever. I'm like, I cannot believe that I have to take medication just to get to work, you know? And, but, but had I seen it, had I been conditioned, hey, the medication is going to help you. This is good for you. You know what I mean? Society makes you think that, oh, you're a failure because you're seeking help because you, you go to a doctor. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me because that's when I really started going to therapy. I got a therapist. I started doing the work. And just two days ago, I was thinking to myself, imagine throughout the whole pandemic, um, I, I haven't taken one antidepressant, Right. And so I'm able to measure my, my, um, my healing. I'm able to see, I'm able to say, wow, you know, um, I didn't need antidepressants to get through like the gloomiest time in history. And for example, driving certain places, I can see an improvement walking certain places. I couldn't take the Metro. Okay. Just going into the Metro, I would get anxiety. Right. And I remember, uh, like being in metros like Lionel grew, um, I would have to walk like like on the side, you know, grasping for air. You know what I mean? And people would be staring at me because, you know, where she, what is she doing? But I, now, I, you know, if I need to take the metro, I can take the metro. 
And so mm-hmm. I'm able to measure my success. So I, that's why I wrote the book. I'm having these conversations. If you need to take your medication, take the medication. Please do. Unbelievable. I'm letting all that land. It was so incredible. First of all, so there are many pieces I can, I, I, I have to take deep dives on here. So first of all, it is biological, you know, yes. at the end of the day. And that's another piece is that there's amount of, there's a certain amount of biology in, in, in mental health as, as well. Right. And rewiring is highly biological as well. Cause that's what we're doing is we rewire when we do the work, whether it's, whether it is prayer, whether it's meditation, whether it is therapy or, or habits forming and, and skills training and, and assertiveness training and all that stuff. But I, so I was doing research on, on antidepressants and my fear was coming off them because mm-hmm. what I was reading was that coming off them was tough. So I'm, I'm curious, what was it like to come off of them? Ooh, a roller coaster, a really? roller coaster. Um, you really have to push through. I remember within my eight years of being on medication, um, I had tried to come off of it and it just, oof, I was just angry all the time because my body was like, where's this medication that you were giving me every day? So my body started to go into almost like my, my body was just angry and I was just angry <laughs> this time because the world was shut down. I was able to do it and like go through all of the withdrawal symptoms behind closed doors, which I'm grateful for. Um, so you do get like for two weeks, I remember I was just annoyed with everything. Um, my body was like up and down. And then you, you're feeling things that you forgot you, you could feel because, you know, there's a certain part of the citrulline that, you know, you, you're just on a constant, you're just like, mm, you know, and then when you're off of the medication, you're like, that's so well described because yes, it feels so muted was, is the impression of the outsider who hasn't taken any, right. But yes. again, what I read was you feel mm, that muted sort of plateau, <laughs> yes. right? Where yes. the, the ups and downs don't happen either as as blatantly or as much, but yes, that's so so well described. <laughs> I'm glad you like that analogy. <laughs> I did, I did because it adds it adds visual to or a sound <laughs> visual, if you will, if that even makes sense. But um, okay, okay, that I'm I'm thank you for saying that, and and even mm-hmm. like, did you have busy like were you, did you have sweat attacks? Like, did you? Like, what were some of the physiological, somatic body things that were happening too? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't say it was sweat attacks. I would just say that I was more confined to my bed. Okay. Right? Energy-wise. And then you're, you have your intrusive thoughts. So the suicidal thoughts were really, really heavy those, in those days. And I remember, because, you know, when you're, when you're on antidepressants, you don't have suicidal thoughts the same way you would have them if you're not on antidepressants, right? Mm-hmm. And so like me off of antidepressants, um, it's sad to say, but that's just my reality, you know? Um, I may have a suicidal thought once a week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, on medication, I don't have them. I see. Because it's I an see. intrusive thought, right? Is that OCD aspect of, you know... Um, 
that's fixation. It's, 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 it's really something. It's really something. So I had to battle through that and, you know, uh, develop gratitude and thanking. Okay. I thank you, God. I thank you, God, you know, and just finding 10 things a day that I was grateful for just so, so I can off balance that I don't want to be here anymore. And so when you go through therapy, you understand that awareness is the number one key to healing. Yes. Right. Yes. And that your healing will not be linear. Your healing will, if you suffer with um, PTSD, uh, complex PTSD, bipolarity, it, it will last a lifetime. Your healing will last a lifetime. And that is something that I didn't know when I first started antidepressants. I figured, oh, I'll take this for a year. I'll be back. I'll be good as nothing. <laughs> And eight years later, well, you know, going into the ninth year, I still have to be like, everything is fine. I love my life, you know, just to off balance and just to keep myself temperated. But I had to learn those skills. There, there's something key you just said is, yeah, to keep yourself tempered. Even the moments, Patrona, where where you feel like, okay, I'm actually, I'm good. So, you know, can I stop the therapy? Can I stop the, the maintenance? Right. Because mm-hmm. you feel like you're in a spot of, you know what, I'm actually doing OK. This is it's almost weird. Like, OK, I, I feel content, energized, comfortable. Like, I don't know. Should I be worried that something's about to come? And women, we have, of course, the added um, <laughs> layer mm-hmm. of hormones and other things. What is your headspace when you're feeling good? Are you compelled to maintain or do you feel like, you know, I, I got this? Like, where's your headspace at in those moments? It's funny you mentioned that. I used to actually count the days where I was doing good and I was in that good headspace just to just to see how the transition into a, a different headspace was. And so now what I do, I try to make my life as easier as possible for myself because it could be um, forgetting to do something that can just offset my mood. And that could just make me feel like I'm a failure. And um, it's also being realistic in my every day. So one of the things I used to be unrealistic with is driving long distances. And long distance for me means going to the West Island. <laughs> um, it's far. <laughs> I mean, it's 20 minutes away. But if you live in like little Italy, you know, you it's don't. Yeah. 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 Okay, good. And um, so, for example, I'd make all of these um, appointments and then have panic attacks while I'm driving, end up going there late, beating myself up. But now I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to pack up my agenda. I'm going to make my life easier. Whatever I could put on automatic uh, repetition, I do, right? And then, you know, like not having food and enough food in the house for a depressive episode, not doing certain things. You know what I mean? Like, Whatever I can do, whatever habit I can I, I can put in place to make my life easier, then I realize that I'm a more stable person, you know? It sounds like you've really come to accept your boundaries and exert them instead of them being as if, okay, they're there and it's 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 a limitation. You're, it sounds like you've accepted them, you've embraced them, and you're making, as you said, your life easier on you. Mm-hmm. That must have been such a huge weight lifted when you came to that place where you felt okay to exert those boundaries. That 
not everyone comes to that place and takes them a lifetime to be able to exert boundaries because boundaries ain't easy. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I commend you for that because it takes people, I I struggle with boundaries all the time. I mean, Mm. I'm not the most assertive person. I say that wholeheartedly because a lot of women work, have to work on assertiveness because of the way we've been socialized to be, you know, the way we write emails, even, you know, Mm -hmm. apologies, sorry, excuse me, sorry for breathing and existing. Yes. Yes. You get it. Yes. It's Mm -hmm. so counterproductive to where we want to be. So um, I really thank you for that. When you talked also about even just, you know, needing, let's say, you know, you're in the house and you, you want to make sure you have enough food, thinking on a, on a big scale to community or people you were able to rely on during this time. And even to this present day, who was, who was there for you? Who continues to be there for you? What's your community like? Who can you count on? So I'm always that person that is always giving and, and making sure everybody else is taken care of and um, I oftentimes forget about myself. So, you know, I have friends, if I say, oh my gosh, you know, I can't leave the bed, please, you know, I can't deal with certain things. Uh, if you can come and help me, yes, I probably have like two or three, right? And in terms of community, I do have great networks in place of great friends, uh, great acquaintances. I try to keep myself surrounded by women that are positive and good for my mental health. If I notice that a situation or somebody is trying to make me feel bad to raise themselves up or trying to make me feel bad because I slept in a particular day, you know what I mean? They don't know. I may have an episode the night before where I couldn't sleep, right? Um, I try to try to um, eliminate those kinds of situations out of my life. Uh, but for me, it's 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 my spirituality. It's being connected to God. And just knowing, because I remember one time I did ask a preacher, I said, um, what can I do? You know, when I start to feel low and I start to feel like um, I no longer want to be on this earth. And she always told me, she says, just pray, ask God to send you his angels. So the mm-hmm. moment where I'm going low, I, it works every time. It works every time because um, this morning I woke up and the first thing I said, I said, God, I need your help. Send me angels. Send me, you know what I mean? And then my first call of the day was a friend. She says, Patrona, I woke up this morning and you're the first thing on my mind. <laughs> you just gave me full body chills. So thank <laughs> you for that. That is, that's so powerful. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. Yeah. You talked about energy. That is energy. And there's such a huge spiritual component to healing too, if if that speaks to to to, to people, of course. But yes. um, you know, even from a meditate meditation standpoint, is that something you you do or is some people prayer is their meditation? Like what is your mindfulness practice if you do have one? Over and above prayer, of course. I I believe in the Hopono Hopono. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's the Hawaiian prayer and meditation. Tell me everything. So the belief is nothing is happening to us. Everything is happening for us. And we could also just be replaying memories. I'm sorry. That's my dog in the background. I'm not giving her enough attention. So she's trying to... Yes, Maggie's (laughs) trying to like divert me from the interview (laughs) because... 
<laughs> she's a divine sign as well. There's energy there too. <laughs> yes. So she's trying to play with me. Forgive me if you hear her in the background. That's, that's okay. Um, <laughs> but so Ho'oponopono says that when something happens, it could be a memory, be it good or bad. And if it's a memory that we, we don't necessarily want to relive, we have to forgive it. And that helps me a lot. So it's, it's really just, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And that is my meditation. I, there's like eight hours of it. You can find it being replayed on YouTube. And for years now, that has helped me a lot because it's helped me. Forgiveness, it's important, especially if your mental health has been affected by your childhood, which a lot of people, nobody's spared from it. It depends on varying degrees. But if you grew up in dysfunction, if you have family issues, forgiving them and, and, and forgiving yourself. So I'm always forgiving. I'm always, you know, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And you thank God for the, for the, for the circumstances. Um, I was listening to, I believe it's, uh, anyways, just sidebar. Um, I listened to a lot of podcasts about uh, people who, you know, have had near-death experiences and, you know, they speak about guides and on the other side and when they came back to to the world, how you know, and they share these experiences. Yes. And there's one of these women, she explained that, you know, a lot of people battling with suicidal thoughts and, um, and uh, mental illness, a lot of the times if it's because of PTSD and because of the way we grew up and negative experiences, she says that forgiveness is key. Because she says that what the spiritual guides explained to her is that these things are happening for us. So when I when I realized, okay, so this happened for me, I forgave my stepmother, I forgave my sisters, I forgave my dad, and it's just I forgave my uncles. You know, you forgive. You have to forgive. I for, my mom passed away, and for many years, I'm like, okay, you know. Um, my mom, she just left me and, you know, she just left her daughters and, you know, like, why didn't she fight more for her life to, to stay with us? Then I, I had to forgive her, you know, and you just keep forgiving and Ho'opono Ho'opono helps with that a lot. So that's what I do. That's my meditation, that and prayer. P for Patrona and P for powerful. That oh, is. Oh, girl, you do know how to make a girl's day. <laughs> I, I'm telling you. Well, it's you, you're just, you're moving. The way you deliver your messaging is so moving because clearly it comes from the heart and the soul. And on the piece about forgiveness, just how well, I was taught something one time by my mom, actually. And, and there's so many grudges I was holding on to for years about, and from a myriad of people, like, like mm -hmm. all of us, you know, common humanity. And uh, she said, you know what? Forgiveness is less about the forgivee. It's more for the forgiver. You do this for you. You got to mm -hmm. do that for yourself. It's a release. And I'm like, that is so accurate. On a really exciting note, I'd love to know what you're most looking forward to. If not, because we're approaching the end of the year, it's always interesting to take stock of the past year. But what are you most excited for, Patrona? That's an interesting question. You know, I used to look for the things, you know, at a certain age, but as I think we, we grow in age, the, the thing that I look forward to the most is just being in, in a good space on a daily basis. So every day I'm like, okay, I, I pray that tomorrow I'm going to be in a good space. The people around me will be happy. 
you know, and I look at it like that because, you know, you can have your moments, you know, you can have experiences, you could look forward to things, um, you know, and I, I just pray that, you know, whoever's listening and the people that are going through anything, I just pray that, you know, they will find their own way. That's, that's all I can, that's all I look forward to. That's all I, I think about, you know, for myself, like I said, you know, at this age, uh, the good experiences come, you know, the, the excitement, it just, it comes, you know, uh, I'm still a blogger. I still, you know, have a professional life on certain levels where I, I, I do the PR. So, you know, the excitement is there, but on a soul basis, like my mind, my soul, my spirit, I look forward to every day, just being, being in a good headspace and being content with my life and being content with who I am as a person. Mm. Mm, spoken like an enlightened human that you are <laughs> truly Patrona thank you so much I want to I want to kind of end this on a note that I I want to remind you those that you inspire and I so I do remember connecting with you I had done an interview with Martin Henault who yes. speaks so highly of you all the time <laughs> and yes. I mean and and Martin with relief is mm-hmm. someone of high influence and you know you our friend Lara who also says only good things about you so your influence is truly widespread and that that domino effect keep doing it keep doing it congratulations on the book I'm so happy we were able to connect finally come back anytime on the podcast please thank you and I just want to tell you continue the work that you're doing there's not a lot of women like yourself actively doing the work on a consistent basis and we need that space there's people that need to be on your show there are people you continue connecting to others because we need this safe space you're, you're helping. You're a light to the world. Please continue the good work. Wow. Thank you, Patrona. I, that hit me right in the feels. I'm going to try and not get emotional on that one. You know, I do the best work that I can to bring awareness to mental health. And it's honestly thanks to people like both of us. And so... Wow, that really... (laughs) Thank you so much. That was so kind. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Okay. A special thank you to the powerhouse and my guest on the podcast today, once again, Patrona Joseph. So reminding you that stigmas can only be broken if we talk about them. So in regards to mental health, I know we all feel like we have to own the battle by ourselves discreetly but the more we come forward with the struggles the less the stigmas get attached to them the less we make up our own minds about what we think mental health is we have to come forward united and create this space more platforms to talk about it and this is something that i will keep fighting for And I am so grateful for, once again, you having tuned in. Let's keep fighting the good fight. It is officially December also. May the spirit of the holiday season lift you up. Enjoy until the next time. Thanks again. Bye.